You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 6. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Last time I shared with you, we were looking at the relationship between uh, Herod and John the Baptist, which is really interesting. In, in Mark chapter 6, you know, Jesus sends off the 12 for the first time, and they go on their first ministry trip with authority to cast out demons and, and to share the good news, to, to release healing, all the wonderful things of a ministry trip with Jesus. And as they, as they go, the text changes, and we get interrupted. We won't pick up on what happens until verse 30. So from here on, now there's this huge response of who people are saying that Jesus is. And they're saying that Jesus, he, he's like one of the prophets. He could be Elijah, you know, the one that's supposed to come and be the forerunner before the Messiah comes. But some thought he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Okay, this is early in chapter six. John hasn't lost his head yet. That's coming in today's passage. But we get an insight into King Herod of who he thinks Jesus is. And Herod believes that Jesus is John the Baptist whom he beheaded, raised from the dead because of all the miracles, all the, the healings, all the way in which the demons are being cast out through his ministry. And so you, you get this, this understanding that King Herod already believes that Jesus is the resurrected John the Baptist. Now we get a flashback and find out how did we get there? How did Herod come to this opinion? Well, we, we, we will read the text. That, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Begin at verse 21. Finally, the opportunity came on his birthday Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to, her, to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and give us ears to hear. Hmm. 
eyes to see, hearts that would be receptive to all the truth that you have for the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Great passage to preach on on Sunday, isn't it? Do you feel uplifted? How to lose your head in eight simple verses. From my last message, you, you understood that Herodias despised John because she was Herod's brother Philip's wife, and now she's with Herod. And the prophet of God, John the Baptist, was speaking truth about the sinfulness of that relationship. So she wanted him quiet. She only had one problem, King Herod was intrigued with John. He, he liked to hear him. Although when he heard him, he, he didn't always respond well, but he still liked to hear him. Hmm. Some of you have been coming here for 18 years. You've been hearing me a long time. Some have left. <laughs> But for some reason, some of you stayed. <laughs> there's, there's something when we hear the voice of the Lord within the voice of another, that it resonates with something inside of us that was designed for fellowship and intimacy with God. And when that happens, it doesn't matter how the style is, how crude, how unpolished, but when there's, when there's the essence of God speaking through another, we need to always give place to that. Open our ears and say, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to say to me? What is it that you want to speak today? So here we have this wonderful birthday party. And he's invited all the big wigs of the area. And they've all joined. His, his commanders, his leaders, his officers, the, the leading citizens of the area are there to celebrate Herod's birthday. Now, birthday parties are fun. You like birthday parties? Armando can cook some really good food on birthday party days. Yes, we love that. So, so, so we love that, so that everything's going fine. And then uh, church history says, and tradition says that Herodias' daughter's name was Salome, and, and she came and danced and pleased everyone, pleased all the guests, and super pleased Herod. Now, just a word of exhortation. Guys, be careful what you say when a woman is dancing. So after she finished dancing, he said, you can ask whatever you want. I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. And it's like, whoa. You know, I don't know where your mind goes, but I'm thinking, what kind of dance was that? <laughs> that must have been an amazing dance. And, and so there he, he, he goes a step further. And there's probably a little showmanship in King Herod's Heart, you know, it's his birthday. He's got unlimited wealth, so he's and so he's he's about, and he says with an oath, 
He makes a vow that he will give her whatever she wants. Now, how many here, if you, if you had an opportunity, you found Aladdin's lamp, but instead of three wishes, you only get one, would ask for somebody's head to be cut off? I can think of a whole lot more fun stuff than just somebody losing their head. So one of the things that I think we, we see in the backdrop is that the kingdom of darkness is, is very active through this passage of scripture. There's things that are going on that are behind the scenes where the enemy will use natural preferences and frivolity and wonderful times, and he will try to exploit those for his demonic purposes. And so when we, we look at this, it's like, oh my, can you believe it? Can you believe that here is the opportune time? Have you noticed? There's a dynamic of how the evil one goes. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay? He's a roaring lion. Unlike the Lion of Judah that was roaring during worship, this is the intimidation and the counterfeit of the evil one. That he will take the roar of a godly lion and try to reverse it into a roar of an ungodly. And he seeks to devour. So he's, he's prowling, he's looking for opportunities. And he waits to find the perfect setting. Here's one of the things that I found is that sometimes evil can be very patient. If they think, it's, if they think there's a, a good enough payoff, they will delay tempting you or trying to provoke you so that you can get a little explosion of your anger until that moment when the perfect storm comes from all dimensions and there is a volcanic eruption of rage. Hmm. So you've you got to realize that sometimes evil will, will patiently wait. We find in Genesis chapter 4, it says, If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must master it. Okay? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Mm -hmm. So within the, the patience of evil, the evil can be patient if, if it believes that it's, it's setting a course of action where it can ensnare you, it can trap you. You know, it's, it's like, okay, this is a John the Baptist trap that John the Baptist didn't set off. John didn't do anything wrong. But Herod, Herod with his, with his free and in the moment, the spur of the moment, the, the taking of an oath, all that kind of stuff, he sets something up and the enemy has set the trap and it happens. 
Who goes to their mom to ask what they should ask for? Five-year-old, maybe? What should I ask for, mom? But not a, not a full adult daughter. She wouldn't do that. It's like, oh. So, so here we, we, we see the, the dynamic of how the enemy sets traps. He sets a different trap if he's, if he's going for bear. He sets a different trap if he's going for rabbit. He sets a different trap if he's going for someone who loves the Lord passionately. That's a little harder. Or if there's someone who just loves the Lord kind of casually, nominally, you know, just a, a, a Christian because they're American and they go to church type of thing. That's an easy trap to set. But how do you get a John the Baptist? To set a trap that you can catch a John the Baptist, you've got to network with several others. You've got to find someone who's got enough hatred in their heart that will pursue the death of the prophet. And then you got to have another person in the play who is just spacey enough, airhead enough, immature, doesn't know, and get that piece of the trap set. And then you got to get the pompous king who is in a moment of elation just spouts off this incredible oath and you see the perfect storm coming together whereby the, the prophet of the Most High, and Jesus tells us that John truly was Elijah that set the stage for the Messiah, for his coming. How do you take out the prophet? You're not gonna get him on his own choice. You're not gonna get him on his own sinfulness. You gotta work through the ignorance and the immaturity, the stupidity, and the sinfulness of others to trap. And so we see this is what takes place in the text. Luke chapter 4, after Jesus has been tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by Satan, it said, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him. I like, Matthew ends there. The Gospel of Matthew ends right there. And the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. I just like, I like Matthew. But Luke lets us know something else. He left him until an opportune time. Hmm. So when you have a victorious moment with the kingdom of darkness and you get a breakthrough, guess what? You're not free the rest of your life. That was round one. Get ready, because the enemy is waiting for an opportune time. That's why our walk with the Lord, we don't need to be preoccupied with the evil one. We need to be preoccupied with the relationship that we have with the one that loves us. And as we stay in that love relationship with him, the Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need. The armor of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the anointing makes us aware of the ways in which 
the evil one works. So we're not ignorant of his ways. And so we just are prepared because we're in fellowship. We're in relationship with the Lord. So the other exhortation I have from this text is we got to realize the power of words. The power of promises, the power of oaths and vows, things that are spoken by you to another and things that are spoken by others over you. And to realize that there is real power in words. We get this all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. You know, when God's creating, he says, let there be. How did he create? He spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke it, and it came to pass. And that's why we've got to be careful what we're agreeing with, what we're saying. Did anybody wake up this morning and say, I think I'll agree with the devil today? Not one of you. Probably all of you have agreed with the devil today before you got to church. Is that good news? You looked in the, in the mirror and you said, oh my what am I going to do with that? <laughs> Bad hair day. Don't know what I'm going to do. You got to be careful with what your words are. A lot of words that we think that are just casual, off the cuff, we're not really, you know, when we're talking to others, we, we, we may not be serious. But when we're talking about ourselves, we're thinking, oh gosh, how long until I get these 25 pounds off? <sighs> You fat, and, and we contempt ourselves. And guess what? That's exactly what the evil one's saying. He's speaking that, and when we speak it, then two come into agreement. And now he's got a legal right to torment you on anything that you say that's bad about yourself. Has anybody had the devil tell you that you're just one handsome dude and you're looking really good today? Yeah. It, it doesn't happen that way. But anytime you complain about yourself, a characteristic or something, he's already been trying to tear you down. And soon as you vocalize it, you've just made an agreement with him. And as he strings those together throughout the course of your life, he is building a stronghold that becomes kind of a self-sustained system of thinking, of feeling, of, of belief. And it's, it's right there. He doesn't even have to water it. It's, it's running on its own from all the agreements that we've made. It's like, oh, we, we've got to get a clue. We've got to get a clue. Our words are really powerful. And the enemy knows that, so he tries to get us with as much negative confession. Don't you just love people that love to let you know who died last night? How many murders there were in the city? You know, the accident that took place over there. I'm just thinking, oh, you know, the first thing in the morning, I really don't want to hear that. First thing in the morning, I want to get connected to the Lord. It's not that I, I, I don't want to be aware of what's happening in the city, but I don't want to start my day off with the announcement of bad news. It's like, no, let's spend some time with the Lord. Let the good news come. And then we can deal with reality. We can deal with the things as they come across our path. We've got to stop being so negative. 
because that's the kingdom of darknesses. You know, I, for, for a long time, I thought criticism was one of my spiritual gifts <laughs> because I was so good at criticizing. I could see everything that was wrong and I could criticize it everywhere. And it's not in the book. It's not in the book. Criticizing is not in the Bible as a spiritual gift. It's in the Bible, but it's not, it's not there in a good sense. And so it's like, okay, we've got to realize that our words matter. Words matter. So we have to be careful how we steward our words and make sure that we're not stewarding them in a way that is tearing down, but is edifying, is building up. Because you can use your words to bless or to curse. You know, there are certain people that just, when you're around them, you can't help but get blessed because they're always saying kind things. Patty Coleman was one of those. If you were around Patty, you just felt good because she would build you up with blessings. Linda Robertson's another. You stand around Linda. I always love giving Linda a hard time. But this year I'm trying to do better and not give her a hard time because her encouragement, the, the things that come out of her mouth that bless is so important and we need that. And guess what? We need a whole lot more. We need a whole lot more of us to, to rise up and to get off this critical negative using our words to tear down, but instead using our words to bless and lift up and to realize that there's, there's real power in promises. So Jesus says, in Matthew chapter five, Beginning of verse 33, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, okay, now Jesus, this is, this is Old Testament. Don't break your oaths, keep your oaths. Now Jesus says, Do not swear at all. Now this is not saying four-letter words, kind of swearing. This is making promises, oaths, vows, do not swear either by heaven for it is God's throne or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not swear by your head for you cannot even make one hair white or black simply let your yes be yes and your no no now the last phrase anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Whoa. Does that hit anybody right between the eyes? It's like, oh my. Anything beyond just yes or no. Because what happens when, when, when we're trying to go beyond yes or no? We're trying to influence. We're trying to manipulate. We're trying to control. We're trying to let them know, no, you really got to do it. Yes, this is true. This is true. And, and we're trying to use something of our willpower to force them to come into alignment 
with our way of thinking, our way of believing. It's like, okay. Jesus says, don't swear. Yes? No. Don't go beyond that. I'm telling you, this is, you know, on a stack of Bibles. Cross my heart. All those things. What we're trying to do <laughs> is we're trying to let someone know that what we are saying is absolutely true, but now we're not using it in the Lord's way. We're crossing over into the way of the kingdom of darkness, and we're trying to manipulate through making an oath, a vow, uh, a, some form of trying to get them to believe what we want them to believe. It's like, you can't use the kingdom of darkness's means to accomplish the kingdom of light's truth. Just speak the truth. Let the yes be yes and the no be no. And let it get sorted out. Hmm. Well, what I was hoping in the midst of this unusual passage of scripture is to bring into awareness of one, how the enemy operates and how he takes down godly people. Okay, be aware of that. But also to be aware of our words, our words, especially when we're making vows and oaths. Jesus in the passage that we just looked at says, don't. Don't do that. Whenever we, we try to overstate something or we exaggerate something, we're trying to paint something so that everyone will come into agreement. Jesus never did that. You know, when Jesus spoke, if people rejected it, he just walked on. <laughs> the rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit? And, and, and when Jesus, and he didn't, he didn't run after him. When his disciples left, after he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And all of a sudden, there's this mass exit from Jesus of all the disciples. And he looks to the 12 and he says, are, are you guys going too? Jesus never got worried. He just said truth and left it to the individual to figure out if they were going to believe it or not. He didn't try to manipulate. He didn't say, okay, rich young ruler, I tell you what, don't go and sell everything that you have, but would you sell five camels and, and, and then come and, he didn't water it down. He, he never waters it down. And he, he doesn't have difficulty sleeping at night because someone was mad at him or someone didn't like him or he got his feelings hurt. I think if we, could, if we could get more of an understanding of how powerful words are and how the enemy uses them against us from others or even from ourselves, we could live a whole lot more whole life, less anxiety, less depression, less conflict, we'd sleep at night, we'd be able to rest. You know, one of the things that I always have been teaching now for years and years, when you're getting ready for bed, invite the Father, Son, Holy Spirit to come into your heart and do whatever they wanna do all night, give them 
blank check. Just a, you sign on the permission, say do all the surgeries you need to do while I go to sleep. And then picture your father God taking the blanket of his affection and just tucking you in and put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. And don't worry about whatever it is that the enemy will use to try to steal your sleep. Will we get this done in time? Well, but what about this pressure or this stress? There's, and, and you, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough evil for tomorrow. You just rest today. Okay? Well, let's stand. <clears throat> I want to do something before we take communion because it's, it's something that I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of, of how others have said things that have harmed us that we may not even have recollection right now. I just want to break off any way in which the kingdom of darkness has been able to attach anything in your thinking, in your feeling, in your emotions, in your body, any kind of pronouncements over you. May have been made by a teacher, a coach, a person in authority, a parent. You'll never amount to anything. You're, you're never gonna be successful. You're ne those, kind of, those kind of declarations, those kind of curses. So let's just invite Holy Spirit and just take a posture of receptivity, whatever that looks like for you. And Father God, we just invite the Holy Spirit to come and do for us everything that's in your heart for him to do here today. I pray, Father, where words have been spoken and they've been uh, etched, recordings that go over and over and over all our lives. Wherever they came from, Lord, we know that they eventually <laughs> were in partnership with the kingdom of darkness. And we just give you permission, Lord, to remove and to break off of us every curse, everything that has been harmfully spoken over us. And Father, every vow, every oath, every promise that we've made that's outside of you, we ask for forgiveness today. Would you forgive us for making vows and oaths outside of your your parameters of, of agreement with others. And anything that we've said over ourselves, Lord, would you remove any kind of words that we have agreed with, that we have said over us? Lord, just remove those in Jesus' name. Now as we take communion, We just acknowledge, Lord, that you are the bread of life, that you laid your life down for us. You who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That blows our gaskets. We cannot comprehend that, but we receive it by faith and we thank you for all the things that we get to experience that are true 
that are even beyond our understanding. And so, Jesus, we receive you with thanksgiving. We praise you for a life that has modeled for us an example for us, but also an example of us. And so we receive this and we eat in remembrance of you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.